when we're laying on our deathbed, you're not going to worry about how much money you had, how much power you had, how much prestige. You're going to see that that was all game, that that was all an illusion. The only thing that's going to matter is the impact you had on other people's lives. Hello humans, welcome to the M Word, the Manx Sports Podcast, brought to you by Martin, that's me, and Matt, that's him. Welcome back Matthew, how are you, Zwift King? I say, as we've just said, I don't really want to keep talking about Zwift, we always uh, just come Do you feel like you need an identity outside of Zwift? We've well, talked to many yeah, athletes we're, we're that don't have an identity yeah, outside. Well, it's, hi, I'm Matt and I'm the Zwifter, I think that yeah. seems to be the, uh, the theme. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I've got anything to report either, myself, unfortunately. Uh, so just a quick shout out to billboards.im, our sponsor. Uh, they're the future of advertising. You'll see their digital boards down the down the sea terminal in town. If you want to get your brand out there, they've been really good to ourselves as well. Go and chat to the guys. Just contact them through their website, billboards.im, uh, the future of advertising. So, Matt, as normal, a bit of audio at the start there. You won't probably know the, sat, the, uh, the voice because I think it's just a generic gentleman's voice that's on there. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. So a bit of background, that is a YouTube channel by a guy called Ben Scott, or Ben Lionel Scott. If you look him up and subscribe, over a million followers. And he he pushes out their motivational videos that are, that are interesting. And one of the ones I, I caught that sort of rang true with our guest today, that, that, that the audio that was there talks about when you die, the only real impact you're going to see from your life is the impact you had on others. Money's not important and all yeah. those other things. And it kind of ties in nicely with our guest today who's joined us. Obviously, we'll talk through what, what he's done through throughout his life to this point and, and a lot of that's focused around helping other people so welcome guy i'm going to try and pronounce it because i'm not very good with names walsencroft oh really? so close so all close. right walsencroft all right okay well, i'll leave you Hello. Right there. so welcome thank you for joining us thank you i think we've got a pile of things to talk through Pleasure. obviously the most important thing at the outset is whether you're mangs 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 or manx is the hills been thinking or about this it. one thinking about, i think there's a new one okay. um manx mank all right. Okay. Okay. okay yeah, yeah. So, uh, father side got a connection to the island, uh, and I've been here uh, since '02. Okay. So, um, got my business set up here, based in Onken. Got the clinic up there, Alaman Hearing Solutions. So we moved there from Village Walk about eight nine years ago, and so yeah, not Manx, but uh, yeah. from Manchester. So Manx Manx. So so to go. I mean, jump slightly forward. What brought you here in O2? We will go back before that, but what brought you here in O2? Uh, with work. Oh, right. Uh, just I came over here with work, and I had a connection from the island for, for many years ago, so I came over and just realised how much I love this place. Yeah, it is, where, you know, everyone is really blessed to be, you know, unfortunately I can't say I'm Manx Manx, so it's Manx of the Hills. It's all right. And uh, not, not regretting my life, but I'll be very proud of it if I am, if I was, and I can see why people are, but it's just a beautiful, beautiful part of the world, so yeah. blessed to be here now. Yeah, you have looked outside, it's like, well, we're recording this in January, it's freezing cold and dark. I've got my shorts on. Yeah, it's well, perfect, yeah, it's dry. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> you're from the north. <laughs> so go back earlier days, Guy, in regard to playing sport, things like that, how, how much sport did you do as a youngster? Or what was your first interaction with sport? Well, I think the best way I could sum it up is I failed on my O-levels first time round because okay. sport was just such a massive part of okay. my life. Um, thankfully got them afterwards, uh, I'd play anything. So growing up, it could be badminton, played loads of basketball. I was always playing football, playing Kirby, keepy up, um, handball, 
anything they could play. Was this at school level, or were you playing for like local teams? Um, bit of bit of both. Uh, it was a lot. A lot of it was just playing with mates outside. As soon as you get home from school, you know, there's a different type of ball. Uh, at school, same different type of ball. Uh, played quite a bit of football growing up, um, and I thought I was some flamboyant, flashy left winger <laughs> with a gifted, uh, cultured left foot. And obviously picked up by the coaches because they put me in nets. So I played between the sticks for for a long time, and I was bench one off on the bench. Isn't <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wasn't. I didn't bench for the goalkeeper, so uh, we only had one. So it was me anyway. <laughs> and so that that was in sort of teen, early teen years. You yeah, a bit, bit younger than that, sort of right. at uh, primary school level. Right, um, okay. playing that. So and that's in Manchester area, I see. Yeah, that was in in, in in Cheshire, and the, I remember the I think the first sort of competitive game of football we had. Uh, it was early September, must have been under eight level. Kicked off and we scored within about 40 seconds. And I thought, that's it. You know, my career started off brilliantly. It's going to go all the way. Captain Man United and I'd be lifting the Jules Rimet by the time I'm about 24. <laughs> about a minute later, it was one all. About 30 minutes later, we were 17-1 down. Oh. And I think the game finished early. Right, right. And <laughs> so we'd, we, we, we were winning for one part of the game. Yeah, right. And then I remember... Uh, we we started looking at the record books then, <laughs> uh, not in a good way. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and, well, the other team might be doing that. And one of the biggest uh, the biggest loss ever in the league had been a twenty seven nil loss, and we thought we can't have that. Right, we're gonna we're gonna have to play out of our skin here to make sure we don't get battered twenty seven nil. So you're looking at this at half time then. I know this was like in between games, oh, you know. Right, so okay. that was our sort of motivation oh, right, okay. to see uh, to see what what's the worst result ever in this league. So it was twenty seven nil. I always remember that score, and we were playing a game and. Uh, usual way, you know. Just we. The only time I touched the ball was a kickoff when we, you know, when the goalkeeper take the ball out, and I was this was before I was playing in nets, and we were twenty six nil down, and they had a one on one with a goalkeeper, good friend of mine, Anthony, still a great cricketer, and he went round, uh, he went round uh, Anthony in nets, and he rugby tackled him, brought the guy down, <laughs> it's a penalty in the last minute, twenty six nil down, um, watched the guy run up, and he missed. And we celebrated like we won the cup or won the league because we hadn't got the worst record. <laughs> so I think that was the end of my Not football career. Memory, no, it wasn't a great memory. Yeah, no. <laughs> Probably more the problem that coach it should have been out on the left wing. Yeah, it could that have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was your, not your poor goalkeeping. It's the fact you should have been outfield. So, you, so then in your teen years, you, I know you got into rugby. Was that an, an, an area you started then playing? Yeah. So I, 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 as you matured, I, I grew, I grew a bit, and uh, yeah, sort of um, uh, bigger than your peers then. Yeah, so world. and I went to a school in Macclesfield, which was a, a, a notoriously good rugby uh, rugby playing school, and I got there. I'd never played it before, so turned up at school, um, and I remember we had a we had a, a Welsh teacher, Di Jones, and it only allow you to play in shorts. And in Macclesfield's quite up, it's in the peak district. Yeah, he wasn't here today, that's why you're No, that's, that's it. So we'd never attract it bottoms and we played then. And as soon as I started playing that, I thought this game's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I just, I love the physical confrontation of it. I love the impact of it. I love the camaraderie. I love the way that uh, you'd, you'd build up during the week, during uh, to a game. The game would kick off. You'd never hear who was going to win. And you just learn to, to play well with your teammates. Uh, we all got better at the game. Uh, and you know it was a, it was a fantastic school in life just to play that because it just all evolved around the rugby. It mm. was superb to be in it. What position did you play there? Uh, I'd like to say number eight because it was a bit more flamboyant, uh, but it was more second row. So I played then, which is a 
one of the big ugly ones that does a lot of pushing mm-hmm. and has a, has a, has bad ears. What does eight do? Not being a rugby. That's that sort of links the the forwards to to the back. So I, I played a bit between the two, between number eight and and second row. But just fantastic ears. I'll nod and know what and pretend I know what forward and backs are as well. So yeah, that's yeah, well done, position. Yeah, well yeah, no yeah, idea. Impressive. Well, not no idea, but not a lot of idea. Yeah. So that school you're playing for, you joined a club as well. Rugby. So yeah, played at school. But as I say, we were you know a, a really strong uh, school, not just in the north, but a bit further afield than that. And the year year above us, they were a really impressive outfit as well. Our year w- was really strong, and the year below, and a lot of my my friends in my year above and below went on to become a lot of professional rugby. A lot of them got capped, uh, played international rugby as well. We had this uh, outstanding rugby master, and I just I can picture him now talking to us. And he, um, uh, he, Reg Davenport, he was ex-captain of Yorkshire, teak tough, hard bloke. And he just drilled us into us to, you know, work hard, uh, play as a team. And we'd go out and we'd win games we had no right to. And we just got better and better. And then, you know, one of the best teams, uh, you know, pretty much in school rugby. And it were just fantastic days because it just all evolved around that. It was an honour to be picked. It was an honour to play for them. You're blessed to win the games, uh, and we just went on this roll and just kept winning and winning, and winning. Yeah, it was fantastic. Did you do much outside of obviously turning up for training sessions, etc.? Did you do much of your kind of own training of I want to get better at this sport? So would you go and what was this? Uh, I did. I pl- uh, and we're still playing basketball at the same time, which was great for the hands because you know you just get the vision, you just run uh, into space to put a ball where a man isn't knowing that he's going to be on uh, go onto it. So that was helpful. I was also doing, uh, I was, I was, bizarrely, I was really into windsurfing and sort of surfing at the same time. So, so totally different sports. Yeah, there's no a coastal town from uh, No, not really. Geography. Well, there's a couple of lakes up in there. And I remember doing a race in one October and I was freezing up there. And um, so, yeah, I was sort of in the summertime as well, just yeah, doing that. So, so training wise, yeah, we did a lot with school. Um, and I think one of the quotes that hit home to me with uh, when he spoke to George uh, a few weeks ago and what an impressive young man he is mm. and and he said that um he said he wasn't the most talented but he was one of the hardest worker and it really hit home with me on that um because um i wasn't the hardest worker <laughs> um but i think because of the basketball and having a bit of vision and know where you are i could run to the ball without sort of running a lot further so uh, my, my training well, i wasn't the toughest trainer as a school kid mm. which um and you say it's, it. it's brought up a lot by my friends now you say it maybe affected your academic side at that younger age you kind of oh, just completely. didn't really care yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd had a choice of a textbook and a pen in my hand or okay. you know a football on a bike and a football on a bike always won yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah when you play in there is that a goal in mind of continuing on after or were you just doing it for, for the, the love of uh, no, well it was it, it was it was all amateur then so it was it was no choice really to be uh, to be uh, you know professional um he just wanted to be the best level he could he could be at that stage uh, and getting into sixth form you know playing for the first team that was just a great honor you know it, it was, uh, i thoroughly enjoyed that and i was playing club rugby at the time uh, played for um that was on a sunday um, I played for a team called Wimslow, uh, and I, I was fortunate enough to get in their first team at 17, 18 years old. And you're playing against men, and that's a big step up. And rugby then was, was a dirty game. It was a hard, hard game, and it was, I was one of the forwards and the youngest. Uh, I had a 
what I thought was a magnificent large ginger mullet and everyone seemed to pick on that. I also had a bit of an ego and uh, thought I was a lot better than I was. So I was a fist magnet to the other team. So every game I'd get battered, uh, but I quite enjoyed that, you know, to get back and get back playing again. But it was a uh, yeah, happy days. What level of. What level in, in rugby is when you're playing? That, that was just a, a junior rugby club. Right, okay. uh, I then went down to Wales and played down there for six years. And if I thought I was getting pummeled at Wimslow, going down to Wales, that was a really tough game, uh, but fantastic. Just just enjoyed it because in Wales, you either want to play for one of the top teams um, and all the village supports them, uh, all the town supports them. And uh, yeah, six years down there were great. What took you down there? At rugby. Oh, um, okay. I got a job. I, had, um, I, I'd, uh, I did a surveying course. Um, and I worked down as a surveyor, but it was basically I was a I was sort of a well-paid student who played rugby, but I had a job as well, and it was it, it was I was doing more rugby really than the work. So was that like I suppose your first job then? It was the first surveying. job, so early, early sort of yeah early twenties. Uh, I went to um, yeah this was after Manchester, so yeah uh, early twenties down there. Worked in Cardiff, um, played down there for about five seasons. Okay. Uh, fantastic, great fun down there. And um, I became, I was working in Wales, living in Wales. Uh, I met my wife, um, who was Welsh. I saw her, said to my friends, I've just met Mrs. Wollstonecroft. Mm. I hadn't even spoken to her then. And she's passionate about rugby, passionate about Wales. And I've become more English, even with all those connections. Mm. So when it's Wales, England, it's fantastic in our mm. household. Mm. So we have, a, we have an amnesty at seven o'clock. So we shake hands, give each other a kiss, and then whoever's one has a smile on the face for the rest of the season. Yeah. So, so I'm interested. Not this is any any stretch of a love podcast, uh, but that that you hear stories of people saying, "Oh, that's going to be my future wife," and they've never never spoken to her. Yeah. What you know? What's that? Absolutely, completely. I've told the story many a times. So I was sharing a house in uh, in Cardiff with uh, three girls that are all dental students, and they're great friends of mine. Uh, and I pulled up one day uh, in my car, side of the road, and a car pulled in in front of me, sort of parking up. There were uh, um, terraced houses, and mainly sort of students were living in them. And I saw this girl in front of me, and I thought, gosh, she looks gorgeous. So I started faffing around, with, I don't know, with a tape cassette or something, because I wanted to see her get out of the car. So I was faffing around, faffing around, and she was doing the same, and I don't know what she was doing. And so it took her ages to get out, so I thought, come on, hurry up and get out. So anyway, she got out of the car and walked across the road to the other side and I was just, I just dumbstruck. And I went inside to the house and these girls, uh, they were really close friends to me. They're great. One of them sang at our wedding. And I just walked in and I said, I've literally just met Mrs. Wollstonecroft. And then we bumped into each other a couple of weeks later and then started seeing each other. And we've been married, what, 20 years now? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's um, quite an unusual one, but uh, yeah, happy story to say. Yeah. Okay, I was finding them. I mean, sure, there's a thousand stories where people have said it, and yeah, they've then realised that the other half is not for them. Yeah, no, term. no, quite, yeah, quite. Yeah. And uh, she's, been, yeah, she's been incredibly supportive to me over the years. And that was it, just from that meeting. So she'd moved in. Uh, she'd finished her university course uh, and was looking for a job, and moved back home, and had just moved in with some friends over the road, and it was literally just opposite where where we were living. And to give sorry to give some context now, so you're you're how old now? You don't mind us asking? I am fifty one. 
Okay. So we're looking now. I say that not very confident. Yeah, 51. So early 90s, late 80s maybe? Uh, yeah, about 90. That, that would have been 94, yeah, 94, 95 I'm at her. Uh, so I was down in Cardiff for another year yeah. and then moved back up to, back up towards Manchester. And I went to, back up to Sale to okay. play up there. Um, which so you again specifically up. moved to play rugby? It? it was always on the back of my mind. I, I, I basically say yes now, but I think at the time it was more for, for a job. I, I, I'd swapped courses over. That's when I started my audiology journey. Okay. Uh, and the course... So what set you on that journey? Um, I'd, I'd done a course in surveying and was working in Cardiff as a surveyor. Uh, and, and during the course, I just thought, it's not really for me, this. But when you start something, I, if I start something, you've got to finish it. There's no point starting it because at the time you make that decision... And I did the work for a few years, and it was okay, but I wasn't passionate about it. It was it was just a job, and I didn't want to go through life like that. And my grandmother, um, we'd noticed that I had a, had a hearing problem, and she was my grandmother was was one of my heroes. She was just a wonderful lady. She had quite a, a challenging, tough life. Uh, she lived in Lancashire, and on her own. Uh, wasn't in the best of health at all, uh, very poor eyesight and in only one eye. And people go up to her and say, Nell, how are you? I'm fantastic. I'm having a wonderful day. Positive. Life can't be anything better. Just ultra positive. But her hearing was getting worse and worse and she couldn't really interact with us all. And we got a, an audiologist round to, to assess her and was fascinated by what he did. And a couple of weeks later, he came back put this hearing system in it, and it just changed her life. You know, she's back involved as again, the TV wasn't blasting our, our ears <laughs> out. Uh, we were listening to all the stories that she was talking about. She used to read us uh, nighttime books, and she used to make funny voices up and jokes with them. And she was still doing this to me when I'm in my early 20s. It was just, it was magnificent. Uh, and I looked at it and I thought, I really fancy doing something like that. And so I went on a course, studied again, uh, and moved back to Manchester to, to start work uh, up there. Well, well, my girlfriend at the time, Karen, she was down in Wales for another year. And it was every other weekend we was back and forth mm -hmm. and still playing rugby and training hard. Well, I think I was training, training hard, yeah, but my yeah, yeah. friends would say, God, yeah. why didn't you train hard? I was. You weren't. And, and about a year later, we got our first house together. And then two, three years later, uh, married and a couple of beautiful daughters afterwards. So uh, we're all happy. And when you're playing rugby then, what kind of size are you weight-wise? Kilo kind of? Um, well, big, nine, I'm a big guy. Five. I'm sort of... Because um, I, I, I partly ask now, not... Yeah, <laughs> it's it quite, ties into what you, you know, change yeah, yeah, it is quite interesting to see where you started from. Yeah, I, I, yeah big guy, six foot four-ish. Um, I like to say six foot five, but no one goes, you're not, you're six four. So yeah, six five. Okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> six yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and at that time, I must have been around about a hundred and about hundred and fifteen, hundred and twenty kg. So, right, so okay, quite yeah. quite a big unit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and body shape's changed now with with what I've done. But yeah, yeah, a big guy. And then in so from there, played itself for a bit. Uh, but I, my body then, I'd, I'd had loads of injuries. I think I'd had about 11 ops by then. Oh, okay. uh, but still playing. All rugby related. Uh, most of the rugby, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's not including breaking your nose and losing your teeth. Oh, that's Being knocked out. That's you, know, that's, uh, you don't even yeah. mention those. That's yeah. uh, just, uh, just giving you, you get those in practice, never mind playing the game. And then I played at Manchester and that was great fun. Really, They, they were really happy days. It was a good club. 
and a lot of us had been at sale or we'd been playing together for a long time or from school uh, we we played together and that that was just magnificent that was that was just great and we just went on this run of unbeaten for you know game after game after game and you play with your mates you know what they're going to do um that that's the i think the thing when you look at team sports like that and you won't like us talking now about Liverpool if you're a Man United fan. Yeah. We look at the way they play football now and there's that, that mentality they just know where everyone's going to be except this, it's so just instinct now, isn't it? You <laughs> see that with any great team. Yeah. Uh, it, and it's interesting watching that develop, let alone if you're within that mm-hmm. environment as well mm-hmm. when it just becomes second nature. Oh, it, it, it totally does. And it's... And they talk about you know footballers at the moment, and they look at the you know the impact they have, and you know. But a lot of people talk about the money and how much they've got. They never think about that when the game kicks off. As soon as that whistle, you step across that whitewash, you build it up to that game. You're chatting in the in the changing beforehand. I'll, I love that, looking at each other, saying like, "There's absolutely no way anyone's going to beat us today. They're not going to get past our line. We're going to keep smashing past their line." We we. You're so confident in your play, your 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 teammates' abilities that you know where they're going to go yeah. and what you can do and what yeah. they can't do, yeah. and it, and and it doesn't come together that often. And it normally comes from experience and and you know wanting it as you know really badly. But we beat teams who were a lot fitter than us, maybe younger than us. They might have had more resource than we did, but you know they might have played at a higher level than we've done. But we'd beat them because we just wanted it more. Yeah. And when you had those close-knit games, we just knew that we were going to beat them. And it was just the little things that, you know, we're coming out of the change room, I said, right, let's get the big lads at the front. So we walk out, so we think, cool, that's a big team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you go out, when you're warming up, just stare at your opposition. Don't say anything, just keep staring at them. It's unnerving. Someone's staring at you, it's, it's off-putting. Mm-hmm. So all these like, little psychological advantages will do yeah, these. Yeah. And I'll be giggling away to myself, think, we've won this game already, we haven't even kicked off. And more often than that, we would do, which was fantastic fun. And obviously, listening to you there, you're very team focused player. Yeah. Is yeah. that is this, when you look back at your past, was a team sport? Why, why do you think particularly? Because some people are just individual, and that's they, they, they work in that environment where people thrive better in team environments. Do you ever kind of thought um, about why that's the case for you? Not, not really thought too much about just it. It's just it's just something that's a big were. part of my life. Yeah. You know, I've been playing rugby since 13 or 14. I started playing first team rugby, 17, 18, and that would have been in the 80s. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, and I always remember chatting at, uh, at Manchester to someone, and, the, um, and uh, this guy had walked in uh, with his kit back, and my mate went and said, hi, 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 about this bloke, he said. And he goes, do you know him? He's a legend. I've seen him around. He goes, oh, he's, he's played rugby for four decades. I went, oh, wow. And I thought, how can he do that? You know, he must be in his 70s. And then... You work out, well, it's good to be doable, that is. And then after Manchester, it, this was about 2003-2004, uh, yeah, and England had just won the World Cup. And so rugby was on a huge high. It was massive. And my hometown, uh, Nutsford in Cheshire, most people know it because they've got a service station. A lot of people have had a mm-hmm. cup of tea there yeah, or yeah, bought yeah. expensive petrol or stuck in a traffic jam on the M6 by it. And they started a, a local rugby club up. And this is literally purely off the back of the, of, of the Rugby World Cup. And I was still at Manchester then. And we'd gone out uh, in the summer uh, with a good friend of mine, uh, Joss, who'd, who'd, who'd been at my school, incredible sportsman. Uh, um, 
and he'd uh, he'd come back and he said, "Oh, uh, you're playing for a new club next year." I said, "Oh, thanks." So well, you're my agent now. Where am I off to? I'm off, I'm off to Toulon. I'm off to the Stormers <laughs> in South Africa. I'm off to I'm off to Perth in Australia. You're playing for Nutsford. Oh, right, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, and that was fantastic. Cheap <laughs> yeah, so I, got, I walked to the clubhouse. Yeah. So they'd been going. I think you had to go for two or three seasons before you could get registered with the RFU. And so they'd had one season in. And so the next season, there was two seasons after, right? We got registered with them. And then we built it up and everyone started coming, getting drawn to the, you know, the, the local club and bringing players in there. And I think that was the happiest time I've ever been playing sport. Because right. again, playing with some good friends, met a load of new people in the town who had seen around the town. We brought people on it, never even played the game. We got a load of juniors in there. We got a second team. We got both teams uh, promoted in one season. We won a national blueprint blueprint award of how to set up a rugby club. So right. they did it really okay. right. Yeah, yeah. And that you know and that was a, it was a nice thing to have. And I always remember we uh, we were deciding to have a, a vets team, and we had a meeting one evening, and one of the guys that was heavily involved in it said. Um, I'm not going to get there till later because I'm at Aintree. Um, I'm at a day there with work. Um, I might be having a few beers, but I'll get there a bit later. So we said, that's fine, Steve. We'll wait for you. So about eight o'clock, doors burst open and he comes in and he'd obviously had a very relaxing day at Aintree. And he comes in, tie was a bit askew, uh, rosy cheek, giggling away to himself. Have you chosen a kit yet? Have you chosen a kit yet? No, Steve, we've not yet. We've not got around to that one. As long as it's not pink, don't have a pink kit. We'll have a, don't have a pink kit. Yeah, Steve, whatever, Steve, whatever, sit down. So we get to it and the next point in the agenda, kit, what we're having, it's got to be pink. And that was it. And that's <laughs> had a theme into it for, that's rolled on afterwards. So, <laughs> so I think then, I think 50% of my wardrobe is now pink, pink. Because, yeah, from, right. because of this. Yeah, you blame that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah quite. So, um, so what end did you, what ultimately stopped you playing rugby? I, well, I, I carried on until I'd worked out that, and so it was uh, 80s, 90s, uh, noughties, and then it would have been the tens to mm. carry on playing. So I must have been about 41, 42. So playing number eight, and I know you've got a vast knowledge of rugby. Mm, but I'll just remind you, um, when you play number eight, it's in the back row, okay. and you have two flankers either side of you. So you have an open side flanker and a blind side flanker and the number eight in the middle. And I'm packing down in one game, and I looked across at these two these two youngsters, and I worked out that their ages added together <laughs> was younger than mine. Oh, I thought, time to hang yeah, up, hang yeah. up the boots. Um, and yeah, it was must have felt com- still competitive at that age, though. If you oh yeah, of course, absolutely. Wants to even 15 years younger than yeah, you know, yeah, com- years. completely. And it was great seeing these young kids that had started there, maybe not learn how to play rugby, do a bit of coaching with them. They come up into the senior team, and it doesn't matter, you know, what level you are. You know, people are, you know, want to ask the questions. You want to put them at ease, um, and just get them embedded into that team, and you know, just give people confidence. You know, confidence is something that you can't click on a computer. You can't get a nap. You can't go down Strand Street and buy. Oh, I'll have a bag of confidence. You can't go on mm. Amazon and, and get it. So just instilling this into the into the into this youth, and it's it's great to see them take take the club on them. So you must be, I guess, on the fact you've got your own business as well, but a leader, a natural leader, that would be from listening to you, perhaps not intentionally, but that was. I think that's for other people to say, but I I I, I was fortunate enough. I, I, I captained a fair few teams, and uh, and I get a lot more reward seeing someone else do well mm-hmm. than you do yourself. You get a bit embarrassed by that, you know. But to see somebody else, you know, go up there and get selected for a team, move on to a bigger club, uh, 
finish a 5k run that they've never done before mm. whatever it, it doesn't matter what it is yeah. it's just it's you get the same feeling yeah. so up, up you're talking there about rugby up till sort of 2010 so you mentioned earlier about coming back to the island in 2002 yeah so you kind of moved you flitting between uk and here Flit, yeah flitting between the two um we just playing rugby in the uk just in the uk i've never i've, I've played on the island uh for with nutsford uh, and that was weird that is because I sort of um, I wanted to come over with the team so I sort of flew back turned around right. got the team flew back again <laughs> uh, and we were the, the plan was always to, to, to move here and so we'd sold a house because uh, we'd set the business up and um, just trying to think now so I think the house fell through that was right and then uh, so I was travelling back and forth for about a year then my wife got pregnant so it wasn't the right time to do that so uh we said right okay so imogen was born then carried on flitting back and forth put the house on the market again and i think that was in 08 when the financial crisis fell through mm. and it was just wasn't a good time to either sell or buy uh and we'd had another daughter by by then so it just it just never happened and it, it just works it works mm. really well i've got a, a, a small team of great um audiologists across who i work closely coupled with them i work closely with uh, and um, it just fits our lifestyle really well. I'm very lucky to, to, to have a foot in both camps. So what was it that actually attracted you to come in here? Exactly. Well, just, I think just the connection from, from uh, you know, from uh, the, the family side from many years ago. So it used to come here as, uh, you know, as much younger and, um, and then I started working here. Um, an opportunity arose for me to, to do some cover work over here. So I did that. And that's when we set the business up. How long does it take to train to be an audiologist? You need to get, it's a degree level now, right. uh, to, to get that, and then you need to be associated with uh, an audiology business. There's, there's different ways of getting into it, but there's not there's not that many people qualified. I think, I've not got the latest figures, but I think there's only about, about 1,200 compared to mm. sort of, say, 10,000 opticians. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. And is it a regulated business, audio? Oh, completely, yeah, it really is. Yeah, mm. we have CPD points where... There's different uh, regulatory bodies that you can be with. Um, thankfully, we're with uh, we're registered with them all. I do quite a lot, quite a lot of training as well, which I find I really enjoy. That that's great. It's a, bit like, it's a bit like coaching. You know, yeah. just you see these young people that come in there, and you think, wow, they're some clever people coming into this one. And if one of my patients asks me a question, and it's I don't know, don't know the answer, I go to my you know the team I work with, and they they come back and like, wow, that's 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 really good thinking. That is. So it must be a range of when it's looking at hearing problems again fortunately something i've never encountered other than the odd syringing of my ears yeah, yeah. but ranging of ages and just from you know uh, it's, it, 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 it's it, it is and it's i I'm take it solutions are always different so it's not always just again my naivety as much as i know rugby about hearing as well it's i mean i i range of we i assess a lot of people um and a lot of them they don't they they might have a a minor hearing loss but nothing that we need to do at, the, at this stage right. so we'll just give them a benchmark and then We'll give them an annual reassessment afterwards. But anyone over the age of 55 for your long-term health and well-being, it's, it's worth getting assessed. Right. Um, and we've got the clinic set up over here. Uh, we're very lucky with it in the fact that uh, we've got some of the latest equipment in there. We've fitted it out beautifully. We've got some nice Italian leather and chrome sofas, beautiful towels and wall. It's very relaxing environments. I've got a team that I'm just, I'm so blessed to be with. They're, they just put people at ease, make people relaxed. Uh, we don't charge for the assessments either. We work mm. very close with lots of people on the island. Um, and I get as much reward from that as I've ever done on a on, on any type of sporting cool. field. And is yours a 
private clinic? It is private. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're fully private, uh, um, but we do a lot uh, with the, you know, with the community as well. Um, but some of the technology now, they're incredible. You, you could have a pair of my hearing systems in, and I wouldn't even know you've got them in. Mm. We've got them now that if somebody fell over, they will text three people to say, your father's fallen over, wow. he's here. Um, and you can have, find my grandmother. So if she goes wandering off, you can have a look on an app to see where they are. <laughs> tracking them. It's tracking them. <laughs> and we can have them now where we can get translate. So you could speak to someone in a foreign language wow. and they will translate and play what's being played into, into your ears. Amazing. I'm going to Japan in October. I need some of that. Come in and see me. I'll get you sorted out. No, absolutely. It's incredible what they do. And the next stage uh, that's being uh, that's just coming out, um, they're going to give you lots of health issues with you. They're going to find out where your blood pressure is, what your heart rate's doing, um, and they're going to be able to uh, foresee if you've got an issue. Okay. Right, yeah. So you could be having a nice glass of wine in the garden at a barbecue. All of a sudden, some paramedics can fly around the corner with a stretcher. Come on, you've got to hop on air. Wow, yeah. I'm having a nice time. You're just about to have a stroke. Right. Okay, wow. and off, off you was. Yeah, yeah. Too much into technology. That's just something within your inner ear that's Minute, regularly right. uh, monitoring what's what's Absolutely. going on and knowing if yeah, there's... They've got, they've got sensors inside there that do them. Uh, it, there's been more development in hearing instruments in the past two years than there have been in the previous 80 years. Right. We're fitting patients now, and um, you know, some of them, you, know, you can see them just fill up because they're saying, look, you know, I was... I wasn't I wasn't as close to my partner because if you put the television on at ten levels above what you want to do, you don't want you'll go in another room yeah, and watch it. Yeah. You know, you sit with your grandchildren, you've got a better relationship with the older one than the younger one because your hearing loss has got worse. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight, it tends to be very insidious, very gradual, very slow. On average people take seven years to do something about it. Wow. So imagine having a problem with your eyesight. You won't go and spend seven years to go and see yeah. Charlotte Sadler to get your eyes tested. Yeah, yeah. You go you'd be on the phone to her straight away. Yeah. Yeah. With the hearing, it takes a lot longer to do that. And that comes back when you were talking earlier about the, the early job of surveying. Yes. Uh, and let's call it jobs, an element of job satisfaction where this obviously provides a mm -hmm. lot of that because you see not always instant, but rewards of yeah. helping people's lives. Okay, oh, it's a massive difference because I, I, was, I, was, I was a rubbish surveyor because I didn't really enjoy it. No, yeah. If you're not passionate about it, you're not going to throw your heart into it. Mm -hmm. And once you do, once you find that passion and, 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 and get involved in it, it's... You know, it it's uh, it becomes thoroughly thoroughly enjoyable. And do you have a clinic back in the UK, or is it just your clinic here? No, we have got um, uh, so I've got a small team back in the UK. Right. So we're sort of in uh, Yorkshire, uh, Cheshire, Northwest, East Midlands as well, oh, okay. um, going up into into Scotland. Oh, so yeah. it's um, yeah, it's it sound too small to me. Well, it's it's it's, uh, it's being modest, are you? Um, I'm never modest. <laughs> 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 no, it's, they're doing okay. They're a good team. They're a good bunch. So, sport-wise, your rugby career's kind of come to a close. Yeah. Uh, everyone's half the age of you. What, you know, inevitably, when you stop sport, it tends to leave a hole because it's you know what you do. What did you think about? What do I need to fill this gap? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's yeah, yeah. sport can grip a nation. You can see what happens in in World Cups and uh, the Olympics. What happened in London in 2012? What a year to be to be British then! It was just incredible, you know. Looking at the papers with the wraps on them, uh, front of the news, everyone walking around really happy. Incredible, you know. People become experts in synchronized diving. <laughs> you know, oh, rowing. Look at the way they've got the it's, catch. Oh, they shouldn't be doing it like that. Well, you know, do what do you know about that? that? Yeah, I do love that with the Olympics when, when you end up watching. Or, or the, the Winter Olympics, where they do the you know the ice 
Yeah, the curling. Uh, curling, yeah. No one watches it ever, do they? Except Absolutely. once every four years. And yeah. then suddenly, like, that ball, that, that, ball or that, that, that stone. I know Absolutely. the remedy. That stone's going too far. That yeah. is, but yeah. you start tutting when yeah. they yeah. throw yeah. a bad stone. Oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. Yeah. Well, you've never even seen one before. <laughs> uh, so, so sport has that. And, and when you play it, uh, um, you know, if you've got one man and a dog or you're playing inside a stadium, you know, if you've got that winning feeling, it just takes over everything, doesn't it? Mm. And... Uh, so when I was getting to the end of it and you just think, you know, my body was hurting, it was aching, you know, riddled with injuries. And I wanted to play until this, uh, into my fourth decade. And I ended up, that's what I was going to say, I ended up seeing Gary again. And I said, oh, I did it, I did it. I said, did what? I said, I played four years, uh, four, sorry, four decades of first team rugby. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, that guy that you, you spoke to, and I went, which one? I said, the guy when we were in Manchester years ago, you said hello to him and I said, who's that? He said, he was a legend. He played four decades of first team rugby. He had played four, four decades of first team rugby. He just played four decades of rugby. <laughs> he was in, he was like on the bench for the fourth team. I went, you're joking. <laughs> the last seven years I've been playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> clinging yeah, onto yeah, it yeah, just yeah. so I could say we'd have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. He, he thought it was a lot funnier than I did. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet, yeah. Um, yeah, so at the end of that, I, I I I couldn't get any more from rugby. It's been I met my wife through it. You know, I've got my closest friends from it, my best man's from it, godfather to my mates' kids because of rugby. My closest friends are from rugby. I can still give them that look. I went to a Boxing Day uh, drinks at a friend's house, um, and a good friend of ours had come over, and he played for England. He's now a huge hit in France. You know, we've not seen him. But we're talking about. The days when we were 17 and 18 yeah, you know yeah. winning games that and, and that you know and that was what 33 34 years ago so the i wasn't going to miss rugby because it, it's a tough game it hurts um i was just going to miss a change room yeah, that's what I, absolutely I, so I wasn't petrified about about not playing rugby i was petrified about about loneliness and not being in a change room yeah. and you're a long time shopping and I, I was, at, I remember in John Lewis on a Saturday afternoon and I was uh, excitedly walking around the, the curtain section. Um, I think my wife might have been leading it and I was, I was, I was trailing in a wake and I looked up and I saw this, this guy, I thought he's a bit of a unit and, um, and he thought he had the look on, on his face. He was desperately trying to look enthusiastic uh, as I was as well. Mm. And we caught each other's eye and it's a guy I used to play at sale with. Right. And, we, and it was five to three on a Saturday afternoon and we're both in John Lewis looking at curtains. What has our life become? Yeah, it's, yeah, got, yeah, it's got to be better than this. Yeah, um, so I had, to, I had to look for something else just afterwards. And what did you find? Well, just at the end of uh, playing at Nutsford, the, um, they had a triathlon in Tatton Park, which is, which is in Nutsford. It's a, it's a beautiful national park. and Lots on there. It's a gorgeous home, fantastic grounds. Uh, and they had this uh, triathlon in there. They had a, a super sprint, a sprint, and an Olympic. Um, I couldn't swim. Well, I could swim. I mean, I'd jump in and out of a pool as a kid, but I'd never in a club or never learned how to swim. Uh, never ridden a bike, apart from as a kid. Um, and I was a useless runner. So signed up for the Olympic one, obviously. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I had to go out and buy a bike. And I remember going to uh, a place in Wimslow, uh, a dealership called Royals, um, buying a bike, uh, riding it around the, around the car park, chucking it in the boot of my car, coming back home, going online, finding out there was um, a race the following weekend, uh, the Cheshire Cat, which was, I think they had 37 miles, something like 70, and 102. So obviously signed up for the 102. Makes sense. 
thought about a try clipping in. So clipped in on, I think, the Saturday <laughs> before the race and the Sunday. Literally got 400 yards from my house, came to the first junction. Oh, you can yeah. guess what happened. Yeah, yeah didn't unclip. So Hit. that's, yeah, for those that don't know, yeah, cycling, like like ski clips, you clip into them like skis. There's an element of a technique of getting out and then of twisting the ankle, which always feels like the first few times going to break your ankle when you're twisting it. So yeah. inevitably those first few times, you should be leaning against a wall, clipping in and out, not riding 400 yards down the road yeah. so to a junction. Came back, uh, blood on my elbow, uh, blood on my knee, um, and I was ginormous at that size. Well, I was going to say, yeah, uh, again on a bike I, if you'd been playing rugby. So yeah. I just, not only that, I'd been, I'd still been doing the socialising hard, but right. well at training, and uh, so it must have been at the biggest I was, and so I was lucky enough to get a helmet that fitted and managed to strap it under one of my chins. <laughs> Uh, and then the following day, so I thought, I've ridden around the car park, I've clipped in, fallen off, I've got this 102-mile bike ride tomorrow, off we go. So we went, went to this bike ride, the, this Cheshire Cats, and we clipped in and uh, all got waved off. And I didn't know which was the front brake and which was the back brake, and didn't know how to change gear on it either, so I'm, I'm, I'm asking someone next to me, and he thought it was joking. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I am, I am, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. About two miles in, I thought, this is quite easy, this. I'm going to make my break for the win. So we set off in waves. So I got to the front, put the hammer down. And after about four miles, I started bonking. And I thought, oh, now I'm going to freeze up a bit here. Food. Oh, just, it was useless. And then, um, so I went round and we got halfway around 50 miles. And I thought, flipping out, it's quite tough, this is. And then I got just, so go back to the bonking point. That's, uh, that's food related. Uh, lack of energy, not. Not the yeah, bonk. yeah, quite. Yeah, it wasn't getting like, four, four miles. In, I wasn't enjoying it that much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and uh, it's only happened a couple of times bonking, and that, oh, it's horrible. It is. Yeah, you, you just yeah, you, you you're licking roadkill, aren't yeah, you? Desperately yeah. trying to get the calories yeah. inside you. So anyway, I got round. I got to about seventy miles, and I was broken by this pit, and I fell off three times during that ride, and two of them was just because of exhaustion, just because I keep, couldn't get the pedals turning around, and just fell to the side of the road, still clipped in, and just had to lie down. Mm-hmm. Managed to get up and I, and I got back towards towards the finishing line and I remember this guy and he must have been in his 80s. He had a big sort of like leather suitcase strapped to the back of his bike and he was texting as he's going past me to say he was going in. And so if I wasn't last, I must have been last but one. I got over the finishing line and flipping out, I was in a right state. And they were packing it down, packing everything away because it had taken me hours and hours to get to get to the finish line. And I remember my mum being there, my wife and our youngest daughter. So I went up to my mum, burst into tears. My wife's looking at me with disdain. And my daughter said to me, Daddy, Daddy, lots of people finished before you. <laughs> <laughs> that, not not the first, no, it wasn't, so that was, that was my first ever uh, intro to cycling. So, so that, that, I mean, just listening to that story, then the question that kind of comes to my mind is, are you to finish that just to do it with li- literally no kind of prep or thought as in I'm just going to have a go at this is that in you is that s- kind of stubbornness to finish it is that I've got to prove a point to someone is that what because that's quite quite extreme just to pick up a bike and five days later ride it ride a, a yeah. long race bearing in mind the weight you can you know a bit yeah. irrespective of being fit or not it's a lot of weight to carry around as well what kind um, of- it, it must be I mean I look at the pictures of it I, I can't believe the size I was and I'd, uh, I bought a tri seat for this tri event, and I look at it now, and it's it's, it's like a cape on me. Um, and I think if you're going to do something, you know, so many people give in right. way before they should do. And if you're going to start something, you've got to finish it. Right. And um, 
I was talking to you before about my bike when it broke in that event. That's the only time I not finished an event because mm. literally the bike had just disintegrated underneath me and I had to get a, a taxi 54 miles back. And um, that was that was last summer. So if you're going to do something, you may as well finish it. And you know, it, it's you could, tough. You can also do some form of extended training before it. And not, yeah, it's, not, it's not not something I'd advise to do. Certainly from, from doing that. No, don't anyone do well, that. Don't follow that. Mindset, oh, well, I'm going to do this. It's, it's whether it's tomorrow in a year. I'm doing it, and it's the end of the story. I think so. Yeah, I think right. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And because um, I, I don't like being in my comfort zone. Right. It, yeah, right. Your comfort zone is boring. It's what you do all the time, day in day out. You only really start to live and get excited when you step outside that. And that's when you do something new. And I I like to do something new because normally you're not very good at it. I don't like being not very good at something. Right. And you can get better at it. Yeah, right. And which was happened. Is that what kind of made your decision to go in the try world in that sense? Because everything you've done before being rugby is team orientated. Yeah. To go to something that is very traditionally solo, what what was the the reason to, to kind of bring you to that rather than after rugby another team form of sport like I, I think it's a really good question uh, because it, it is so different you know people that sort of gone into that tri world that would normally come maybe from a swimming, swimming background uh, um, one of the three or, disciplines or, really. or, 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 or cycling and they, and they tend to be uh, they tend to be as you say solo sports you know when you're swimming you can't chat to anyone next year you're following a black line up and down when you're running, you're competing against everybody as well. It's a bit of a, a bit of a solo sport and cycling, a bit more so. But again, at the top end, the racing level, it's it's down to solo. And I think one of the the, the interesting thing when we, we we did this triathlon, so there was there was four or five of us from the rugby club that um, that, that did this Olympic one, and we all went for lunch afterwards. Um, and I, I, I didn't even know at the time which. What what order of the disciplines went in? Because I'm thinking, how do you get off the bike and put your wetsuit on? You know what what happens? Like, oh no, the swim's first in it. What's do you go running after that? No, no, must be the bike. So asking people, you know, about that, we d- didn't have a clue. We just rocked mm. up wearing rugby shorts, doing it. One of the guys, he had a puncher. Uh, didn't so didn't change it. Didn't have to change it. So he ran back home to his. <laughs> that's right. He ran back home <laughs> to his house and um, <laughs> he uh, he he got in through the garage. And um, he had a really old bike. I think it was his old mum's and he had a basket on it. And he was a second row partner, so he, he was the size of me at the time. So he got this, and then he had his clip-on shoes on. So he couldn't, he took those off, and he didn't have the key for the house. He, only had, he could only get in the garage. And he had an old pair of work shoes. So he put up an old pair of, like, black brogues on, on this sit-up-and-beg yeah, bike, yeah. and did another couple of laps of that, and then still finished. So great, great way to finish. So we're all in this Italian having pizza with the family, and that was a closer they got to me back to the changing room. Right. That was like looking in someone's face and saying, flipping out, I can't believe you finished it. Yeah. I was always going to finish it. What yeah, do you mean? Yeah. It just had to, just to, it only affected my time. Still got the medal, still got over the finishing line. Yeah. Brilliant. And I love the bit at the beginning uh, where everyone's chatting. And I don't know what it is about triathlons or swimming, but people's only question to you, are you nervous? I'm nervous, are you? Well, I'm not nervous at all. Right. No one's forced me to do this. You know, you know no one comes back to you and goes, I shouldn't be here. Oh, why not? I'm too fit. I've trained too hard. It's unfair on everyone else. I'm a brilliant swimmer. I'm gonna. I'm only gonna get wet because they're gonna be on top of the water. But by wheels never even touch the ground. My feet do the same on the run. It's unfair on everyone else. No one ever says that. Yeah, right. it's, it's always talking about the negative about it. And I think, well, you know, they're not cheap. These events. You've trained really hard. Yeah. Your family have had to support you as well on them. So you're very, so, very much on the particip- participation side. It's not. You're there. You say you're not there to 
as much as you'd like to to be at the front. It's just you treating this as yeah from what I don't know I quite like getting another point of it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no it it is and it's about enjoying it yeah Yeah, it is there's nothing in my life I don't do that I don't enjoy and if you're going to train hard for something you make the most of it you know just save it all in take it all in Uh, and so we're we're sat in this Italian afterwards and uh, we're just having a great time and I thought this is like having a rugby win this is like having a, a tough game playing away no chance of winning hostile crowd um, all against you. Um, ref might be against you as well, and he come away with a win, giggling. Yeah, think, yeah. You know, we, we, we know, there was no way we were going to lose that, and it's exactly we don't. We've all we've all finished this. Brilliant. We've all, without asking each other, we'd all signed up for the Olympic one. Uh, hardly done any training. Hardly any of us could swim. Um, some of us, well, one of us had done a hundred mile bike ride, but that was about it. Yeah. Um, and another one had done a bit of cycling, and we'd all done a bit of running, but it, and it was just great to do that so we said we should form a club you know we've got we, we should be you know it should, should be right for us to form a club right we'll do that not to try club perfect right you're boring you're very good at detail robin you can be chairman <laughs> hold on i'm chairman of my cycling club what's, what's going on here <laughs> yeah you, you, you some of your teammates did say yeah. um and uh i said i'll have the ideas i'll come up with it and someone else said right okay i'll do the web so, so six of us that started this club and it's, it's been fantastic this after one event literally off one event so and I used to do the, um, the fitness training with the rugby clothes so it was now rugby and tri club uh-huh. and it said right what colours are we going to have guess what colours we came up with I think, well done but it's ideal because we'll be going to these uh, big events and you know you might be you're doing a half marathon and there's 1500 people starting off and you'll see a pink vest in the front. It's mm. one of my teammates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, or, or behind you, but I've not seen one behind me yet. <laughs> to, to go back onto the, well, to come back in a moment to that, that the try journey that's continued. But just to go back, when you meant, I'd written down on my notes here when you used the word positive, looking at positive aspects. That's something in your life you've always been that there's a situation positive or negative or somewhere. You're always, it's that mindset you've always had of just being generally a positive person. I would or be. Is you work on or? Well, I'd be the most negative person on the island. If someone could prove the benefits to me, right? Okay. Okay. So if if someone's really negative, I say, look, I, I, I'm not like that at all. I need to be more negative. Can you tell me how to be more like you? Right. You know, why can I have a more dour outlook in life? So when my feet hit the floor in the morning, I'm just grateful to be able to stand up. Right. And you've always been like that, do you think? And if um, you always been like that, I, I think I think it's I think as you get older, you can you can develop some skills a bit better. Mm-hmm. And I'd much rather be positive, you know. When it, when it, you know, you've got the destiny in your own hands when you wake up in the morning. When you go to bed at night time, you know you can think, what you know, what a fantastic day I've had. You know, what three things have I done today that I've really enjoyed? Mm-hmm. And it might just be holding the door open to someone and them saying thank you to you. It might be just you know seeing someone at shot right and the twenty p short. Oh, what do you, you know, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a monetary thing. It's it, it's just about doing the right thing. Yeah. And. Or you could say, actually, today I'm going to have a really bad day today. I'm not looking forward to work. Um, could I be bothered going to the gym? Not so sure. Um, I'm going to go around with a scowl on my face. Um, you know, and I'm going to bring everyone else down. Um, I don't see the benefits of that. Yeah, right. And you know, chatting to George, the, you know, listen to me talking about George today. What you know, what a wonderful young man he is. And it was moving to hear about you know he's very open so you know about some of the depths he went into and it was incredibly moving because he he nearly (laughs) 
came up with a permanent solution to a temporary problem and you know good for him for you know clawing himself back from that and now now spreading this across the world you yeah, know yeah, across yeah. the island and further afield and wouldn't it be wouldn't it be wonderful if the Isle of Man was known as a, as the happiest place in the world yeah, yeah. if we had an epidemic of being happy yeah. being content and loving your life oh do you, we want to be part of that do you feel that 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 aspect of people is that uh, I think people are generally my general view on people is some people have more negative and positive outlook. That's just, I don't know whether that's genes thing. Do you think uh, people, well, should continue to try and develop that in the, in the right way rather than being content that, you know, I'm always not always happy. I'm not always sad. I'm somewhere in between. Do you think people should go out of their way to self-develop and completely improve that? Yeah. Improve but, that you know, people work on uh, working on the minds, you know, they, they, they go to college, they study, uh, They'll do Sudoku, they'll do crosswords, they go to the gym to be leaner, to build muscle up. But your mind is huge. Mm. You know, that top two inches is absolutely so important. Mm. You're the director and producer of your own mind. Mm. You know, no one else, you know your body better than anyone else on the planet. And the mindset, and it's how you talk to, talk to yourself about it. You know, when people go to bed at night time and they might have these negative thoughts and doubts in, in the mind, but I'd much rather left to think of something up, uplifting and, and upbeat. But just to clarify, that kind of thing, that's still a, a let's call it a challenge for you because I, I, I suspect and sometimes people look at that and go, well, you've got good things to think about where I've just got bad things going on in my life, so therefore it's negative. But you're still working on the negative aspects, whatever they are. You're still They're still there, but you're dealing with them in, in the way you deal with them, whether it's pushing them away, dealing with them. But pushing those negatives down and bringing the positives up. Yeah, I, I, I disagree about people having negative parts of life in their life. You know, everyone has a journey in yeah. their life, um, and you know, some people have uh, horrific stories and what's happened in their life as well. Everyone has them at different levels. Mm-hmm. It's how people deal with them that's the difference. You're only born with two fears in life. Mm-hmm. You're born the fear of loud sounds, spiders. No. <laughs> and and the fear of being dropped. That's right. Yeah. Everything else has been taught. Yeah, yeah. So if it's been taught, it can be taught to get rid of. Yeah. So if you've got a mindset of something um, uh, minuscule, a tiny little issue like a spider, it's so easy to get rid of. It can take you 10, 15 minutes just to chat with somebody who can, who can get rid of that. Um, and, um, and just either the visualization of it or just having a, uh, having a chat with you as well. So those fears, they're, they're just in your mind, but they can be taken out of yeah. your mind as well and be replaced with something a lot better. A question I constantly ask myself and my team will laugh about it because if uh, hopefully they will listen to this, they'll know what I'm going to say now. It's what is the best that can happen? I ask that myself all the time. Right. So people normally talk, what's the opposite of that? Mm. What, what is it? Yeah, what's the worst that will happen? Yeah. yeah, never say that totally different connotation because you're always thinking about something negative so if i went on that bike ride when i said you know foolish maybe doing 400 meters and two laps of a little car park as a a warm-up and then do a century if i thought what's the worst that can happen well i'm going to fall off i'm going to bonk i'm going to be in bits i'm going to be in tears over the finishing line when we start yeah, or what's the best that can happen? The best that can happen is, I've got a story to talk about, for, I'm still banging on about it 10 years yeah. later, um, and great sense of achievement, that's the best that can happen. Right, okay, now it might be a tough journey to get there, yeah. and it might not go according to pa- plan, but I felt that ribbon over my neck. I felt that, that metal, uh, bit of metal tucked between my chest. Yeah. 
I got my daughter coming up to me saying, yeah, daddy, lots of people finished before you, but well done for finishing. Flipping heck. I'll yeah. always remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's such a, isn't a great outlook to, yeah, to think yeah. of, to flipping a, flipping so, such a well-used saying yeah. on its head and how that can just change your total perspective. It, it completely does. I, and I hear that expression all the time. I'll talk to someone and I'll say about it. And that's, that's their default to most things. Yeah. But flip it around. You know, what's the best that can happen? Yeah, you know, I, I used to do this thing with my children, um, three best things. What are the three best things that have happened during the day? And what we got is that you could put them in a journal. You've got one on your, on your lap at the moment, and it's great. Is it, what is it, sort of bluish colour? Yeah. Um, now, you might not open that till the next time you're sat in here with someone in a, tomorrow night, two, 48 hours time. But what if that was a glass jar? It was visual, with a cork lid on top of it. And what if you thought, like, the three best things that's happened today? So you came, I don't know what they are, you might have come in today, opened the door, your dog came running over to you, chucked its paws around you, started licking your face, that's fantastic. Um, your wife, wife might have looked you in the eyes and said, do you know what, I really love you. And you might have come in and seen your bike and gone on Zwift and got a PB or whatever. So that's a wonderful thing to happen. Write them down, put them on a coloured post-it note, put them in a glass jar. Mm. In a week, you'll have over 20 of them. In a month, you might have nearly 100 of them. In a year, you've got over 1,000 of them. Yeah. And it's visual. You can take that jar with you. Yeah, yeah. Go to your next race. Put it next to you. Take it to Copenhagen with you. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. That's my that's my uh, good luck jar. Yeah, that's my jar of happiness. And if you're lying at bed at night time and you can't get to sleep, I'd much rather start reading about something that's happened six weeks ago, six months ago, that's been really positive and uplifting because it'll make you smile yeah. and make you laugh. And no one ever is going to tell you off for smiling too much or... I don't like him. He laughs too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm too happy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So those techniques, outlooks, and things you've just been mentioning there—is that things you picked up through throughout your journey, as it were, or have you done research and you know reading into like how can you make yourself a lot? You know, happier for a better word. It is. I, I went on a course um, with work. Oh, it must be 15 years ago, um, and. It was a, a work meeting, bland and boring, and he sat there looking out the window, out the window at your watch, waiting for this to, happen, to finish. And this guy came in um, and he started talking about visualization and about a positive aspect. And, and he did this exercise with us, and just to close your eyes and think of some happy time and, and where you were. Um, and uh, I quite. Um, I'm into my skiing and snowboarding, not as much now, but at the time when I was really into it, on and I remember, I thought, yeah, I remember being, you know, from my, it was my 40th actually, being on a snowboard, whizzing down the mountain, sun on my face, mates at the side of me, snow fl flicking up, looking down into the valley, a uh, beautiful mountain peak above me, hearing the snow, not much else sound, and just hearing my friends whooping and hollering and me doing it as well as we were shooting down uh, off piste. And he took me back to that moment and he just felt really happy. And, and my eyes were closed and he took me through it and I thought, wow, that was incredible. You know, it was a really happy moment mm. of it. And I think I'd done quite a bit of that in the past, but he actually put a name to it. It was called NLP. Boo, sorry to interrupt your listening to us chatting with Guy. However, we've decided to split this podcast up. So please keep an eye out and download part two shortly. Thanks for letting us in your ears. Word out from Martin.